One. What is up? We are back. Football Life presents the Audible Thursday Matinee Championship Weekend Edition. I am your host, Randy Hammond, alongside my co-host, Matt Bushnell. And I got to say, Matt, I know it's Championship Weekend and it's late January. It's an exciting time for football. But I'm especially jealous because it's a lot warmer where you are than it is where I am. Yeah, you know, I can't complain about the weather here, Randy. It's it's warming up nicely. We're going to be at a high of 74 tomorrow. So we're starting to get that nice temperature range. Just I'm waiting for the 80s. Just get me to the 80s, baby. I'm a solid six months away from seeing 80 degrees here in upstate New York. In fact, it's the time of year when you live in the Northeast or live in an area where it's cold and it snows that you're in the negatives to single digits so much. When it gets to like 25 degrees, you walk outside and you're like, oh, it's pretty nice out today. <laughs> it's gotten to that point of the year. So I uh, love that about upstate New York winters and Northeast or wherever you may be that has winter. You can probably relate to that. All right, Matt, we have a great show planned. We're going to talk about all the news and there's a ton of news to get to in the show i'm very excited about talking about it and then it is what everyone has been waiting for the final four is in place championship weekend is here we are going to decide the super bowl on sunday cannot wait to discuss that but first you all know how this goes it is episode 94 of the audible and it's still a defensive line number matt bushnell so you got a good player for us who comes to mind when you think of number 94 uh, number 94 is Robert Quinn for the Chicago Bears, baby. Give it up for <laughs> the guy that led the NFC in sacks this year. So, Robert Quinn, cheers to you, my friend. Yes, good, great job, Robert Quinn. I have career resurgence a little bit. I think under, under the radar signing, my computer's making noise when it shouldn't be, so I apologize to the audience for that. Uh, I'm just going to locate where the sound's coming from. All right, that should be dead here. Cool. All right, technical difficulties right off the bat. We got to love that. Let's get right into it, though, Matt Bushnell. Actually, let me talk about my number first because I got distracted there for a yes, second. Yes, you did. I did. So my my fault, everyone. So sorry. Um, number 94 for me uh, kind of ruined my life for a little bit. But Demarcus Ware was the defensive end for the Cowboys for a long time, went to the Broncos and won a Super Bowl on that Denver team back in 2015. Uh, really great defensive end for a while. So number 94, that's who I think of. And then, you know, Henry in the comments says Charles Haley. Uh, how could we possibly forget Charles Haley? Matt, that's more of a your call, honestly. That's something you usually like to bring up. Yeah, I mean, I love Charles Haley, um, 49ers. So no surprise there that Henry brought him up. But also <laughs> no the surprise. Dallas Cowboys. That's so, what I think of. Is that yeah, the Cowboys? Three Super Bowls with the Cowboys, two with the 49ers. For a while there, he was the ringleader in mm-hmm. the NFL. And has he been passed by uh, Mr. Brady? Is that what the case is? Oh, here? yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone gets passed by Tom Brady. It's it's ridiculous. All right. Well, Tom Brady's not a part of the show. So how about that? How about those apples? Late January, we're not talking about Tom Brady. What a concept. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen that often. Let's go uh, and start by a quarterback who is definitely happy to have had Tom Brady out of his life uh, and most quarterbacks out of his life now. And his name is Ben Roethlisberger. Earlier this morning, he officially announced his retirement from the Pittsburgh Steelers after 18 seasons in the NFL. Um, look, I think he has a complicated uh, history, complicated legacy he leaves behind on the football field. The Steelers fans will always be grateful for uh, his contributions to the Steelers. He never once had a losing season uh, in his 18 years. That is just crazy to say. 
say out loud in the NFL. Mm-hmm. It's a, a great run. Obviously, he won two Super Bowls uh, with Pittsburgh. He finishes top five all time in passing yards and I believe passing touchdowns. So no doubt about it, a Hall of Fame type career for Ben Roethlisberger. But uh, I can't help but to think of some of the other off the field issues mm-hmm. that sort of remind us of, hey, we root for these people and we cheer for these people. But ultimately, uh, they can decide whether they're good people or not. And we can decide whether uh, that's going to affect how we view them. And I think Ben Roethlisberger is the poster, uh, poster child for that. Yeah, I, it seems like he has been allowed to um, be not so polarizing in the second half of his career versus the first half. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. there are a lot of issues out there. You know, I don't like the person, you know, the stuff that you hear and, and that's okay. You know, we don't have to like everybody. We don't have to condone anything. But the fact is that when Roethlisberger's football resume is what it is, you can't ignore. And I go back to this because it's a hot topic in baseball right now with Mm -hmm. the Hall of Fame voting. Yep. A a player belongs in the Hall of Fame based on what they did in that game. Um, I I mean, if if Lawrence Taylor's in the Hall of Fame, and that's what I go by because Lawrence Taylor did some stuff. (laughs) You're right. That a lot of people probably don't even know about still. Um, he may have killed a man like Ray Lewis. I'm kidding. We hey, they, they ignore Ray Lewis too, for the record. Y- yes. Yes. To be fair there. So to me, he's a hall of fame quarterback. I- I'm just going to get that out of the way. He- he's in the hall of fame. I don't have to throw flowers his way, but yes, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Roethlisberger. Definitely belongs in the hall of fame for a really good career. Great career. Really? You know, you go 18 seasons without a lose- losing record. You know, that's Tom Brady's stat- stratosphere right there. So yeah. congratulations to Big Ben's playing career. Yeah, I like to poke fun at Big Ben and the Steelers for the last decade they've had. Um, they've had some crazy playoff losses to the likes of um, Baker Mayfield, uh, Blake Bortles, Tim Tebow, yeah. um, obviously Brady mixed in there a couple times, but uh, and Joe Flacco. Um, they've lost a ton of playoff games, but at the same time, you don't have heartbreaking playoff losses without making it to the postseason. Um, I would kill for that trade-off any day of the week because the Giants have had much worse of a run in the last decade. Um, I I will always remember the class 2004 uh, quarterback class. Um, I, I think you look at Eli Manning going number one, Philip Rivers going number four. Big Ben didn't go till number 11. And he was sort of like the, oh, the consensus third guy. And when you look back at their careers, you could probably make the case he was the best. If I mean, maybe even clearly the best of the three. I mean, he won the same amount of titles as Eli Manning, went to another Super Bowl, statistically better. I think he went to the best organization, the best possible place he could have to succeed of, of those two guys, of the three guys. And I think, I think that certainly helps the coaching stability, the defense, uh, the playmakers around him. He has certainly gotten that benefit of the doubt. Where you'll lose me is, and this is something I don't want to be too critical of because I don't know all the details, um, but it's very serious. You know, everyone here knows how much I love Kobe Bryant. Um, Yesterday was two years since Kobe Bryant passed away. And every time I, you know, I express my love, someone brings up the fact that he was accused of rape. Kobe Bryant, after that point, and I don't know if he did or didn't, I don't know if Big Ben did or didn't. Here's what I know. I know how you react to negative news like this. I know how you make up for the things that you that you could have done or not. Kobe was consistently remorseful for even putting himself into that situation. He made himself a better man each and every day. He was a better husband after that. He seemed to be a great father and he improved as a person as time went on. 
Big Ben never showed a look of remorse. He denied constantly that he did any wrongdoing. And then he continuously made mistakes off the field to show that he felt like he was untouchable. That's where you lose me. Um, when you sort of clean yourself up and you're, you become a citizen, like, I don't care. People make mistakes all the time. And, you know, like, don't get me wrong. Rape is not a mistake. That is a, a decision that you made on somebody. Um, but ultimately, we all could have a second chance in life if we work hard at it. So that's where I lose Big Ben. I can't just sit there and ignore his actions because he's an NFL quarterback. Um, so that part of it is there and it's real. And uh, I don't think that just because he threw a game winning touchdown pass with 35 seconds left the Super Bowl, and it still is one of the craziest Super Bowls and one of the greatest moments of all time, we should ignore his off the field issues. And um, it doesn't mean he'll get left out of the Hall of Fame. It doesn't mean he's not an all time great quarterback, but it is affecting the way you and I view him and his legacy. So Big Ben, congrats on a great career. And uh, maybe he can uh, just ride off into the sunset and we never have to talk about him or his issues ever again. And he has the privilege of doing so. So good for him on that, I suppose. All right. Another retirement, Matt Bushnell. Uh, and this one was sort of a surprise. Um, but Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints is hanging it up after 16 years, at least for now. Uh, this does not seem to be nearly as permanent as Big Ben, and nor should it be because he's pretty young and it seems like he's still good at his job, but he is walking away. And I think perhaps you look at the Saints uh, cap space <laughs> and you look at the Taysom Hill contract, which Sean Payton had a lot to do with, uh, <laughs> and he just goes, all right, I'm out. Uh, perhaps he sees opportunities in television or uh, in somewhere else in football that he uh, can find. He announced the retirement, I believe it was it Monday or, or Tuesday, um, but 16 years in the NFL or as the Saints head coach, he walked into the Saints after Katrina and totally rebuilt this franchise from scratch. Obviously, he had help from Drew Brees. And he won one Super Bowl, got suspended with Bounty Gate. Quite the interesting um legacy he leaves with New Orleans, but ultimately I find more positives than negatives, mainly because that city was in a really, really bad spot after Katrina. And I think the, the partnership and the, uh, the, over the teamwork between him and Breeze and the rest of that really turned, uh, helped turn New Orleans around. Um, I don't think this is the end for Sean Payton by any means. He's only 58 years old. He's the same age that Pete Carroll was when he got the uh, Seahawks job. I think that's important. Um, but overall, Peyton walks away from a franchise that sort of established him as a good coach. Um, and I think that'll ultimately get him another job in the future. Yeah. It's, I, I go back to what I said about big Ben. It, it's mm -hmm. conflicting when you look at uh, Peyton's legacy because of the painkiller controversy, the bounty gate, which is more tied to, um, I can't believe I forgot his name. Gosh, dang it. Defensive coordinator. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking. I, I don't know why his name's escaping me. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I can Corey, picture him, too. Did Decker help us out here? I'm not sure he'll send in the messages. But Sean Payne's going to be an excellent coach um, in the future, now, and forever. I mean, Greg Williams, thank you, Vince. Yes, thank Greg you, Williams. Greg. Yeah, I can picture his face, but I couldn't picture it. I couldn't think yeah. of his name. So, I and Leon, too, piling on there. Thanks, Leon. Um, I think what Payne does for me is – he took a chance on Drew Brees, and Drew Brees had a big impact on that offense with his quick release, precision timing, a lot of that. And I don't want to take away from Sean Payne, but some of these coaches get a lot of credit for having a great quarterback at the helm. And that's what always worries me because, like, you don't want to criticize the quarterback like our Brian Dayball conversations go offline. Like, he didn't have success here, here, and there. And then you take a look at the quarterback. Well, he had shit quarterbacks everywhere he went. And then kind of like Sean Payton, like, can I hurt, can I count against him 
for what he did with Drew Brees. But at the same time, we've seen plenty of coaches fail with really good quarterbacks. Yeah. Um, to me, Sean Payne feels like he'll be in. Uh, he'll be a head coach next year. Um, I think he's probably going to end up going to Dallas. You know, the time. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the timing and everything. I don't think they're going to stick with uh, Mike McCarthy. I think Kellen Moore will probably get a head coaching opportunity somewhere down the line. But to me, Sean Payton just seems like he will be the next Cowboys head coach. I agree with you because I think Mike McCarthy is not long for that job. And the parallels between McCarthy and Payton are interesting. Um, But I do think it's different because Payton uh, went from nothing and kind of built it up along with Breeze and where um, McCarthy was handed two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, essentially with an organization that was considered uh, one of the best in the league and still only walked away with one title. Uh, I think Payton can walk away. And I think if you're a Saints fan, you'll feel this way too, as uh, someone who obviously had a ton of success with New Orleans, but ultimately left a ton to be desired. And I think there were so many postseason failures where you're like, man, we could have won that Super Bowl or we could have been in that Super Bowl. We could have been here. And I know Peyton isn't responsible for the Rams no call. And I know he's probably not part, uh, totally responsible for the Minneapolis miracle. But you look back at those and say, man, what we, we could have really won two, maybe three Super Bowls in that run. And we only walked away with one. And that was over 10 years ago. And I mean, I think his defining moment, I mean, if you can discount Bounty Gate, where he literally tried to pay guys to uh, injure other players, which is, you know, bottom of the barrel stuff. Um, but he decided to kick an onside kick uh, in the second half of the Super Bowl. And I mean, that I, I don't feel like that even, even talked about enough, like the balls on that decision. Like that could have gone horribly wrong. The Colts could have recovered. Peyton Manning could have just struck a touchdown. And you would have been done. And he never would have been talking about Sean Payton as a champion or Breeze as a champion. Um, but it worked out in his favor. And the, and the Saints obviously won that Super Bowl. And, you know, and now we think of Sean Payton as a winner. I have a love for Sean Payton because he was the offensive coordinator of the Giants and he helped the Giants make a Super Bowl with Kerry Collins. <laughs> and, you know, I think you would probably say, hey, Giants probably shouldn't even been there. You're probably right. Uh, and that's probably why he got the job to begin with is that he was such a good play caller and offensive, uh, you know, overall mind. So um, this isn't goodbye to Sean Payton, not quite like it is to Drew Brees. He no. for sure will be back. Agreed. Well, with as we say goodbye to a few people, we say hello to many others. And let's start with your team at Bushnell. They made some hires. Uh, let's start with GMs because, you know, we have some head coaching hires. We have some GM hires. We're going to go in the order in which they were announced, um, which would be Ryan Poles, who, if you listen to the last episode, we kind of saw this news um, sort of break when we were still on the air, but it wasn't finalized yet. Since then, it has been uh, uh, finalized. The Chicago Bears announced that they have hired Kansas City Chiefs Executive Director of Player Personnel Ryan Poles to be their general manager. He was a finalist for the Giants. He was a finalist for the Vikings. He had interviewed several times with both of those teams, uh, and and the Giants went with Joe Shane. So then he decides to take the Bears job, and I like this hire a ton. Obviously, this is a guy held in high regard. He's young, and you look at the Chiefs' body of work in the last five to ten years, it's hard to argue with it. Yeah, the things, obviously, you know, I've been listening to a lot of Bears news and everything, so that's not uncommon when your team gets a new GM or a new head coach. Um, I, I, I think looking at this in the bigger spectrum of it is that you have to be excited for a couple of reasons if you're a Bears fan. One, he prioritizes the offensive line. Like, he, he really believes it because he used to be an offensive lineman, and his big thing with Kansas City was – that he wants to make sure that everyone has a voice in the room and that it's okay to disagree. We're going to disagree. We're going to get into arguments and that's fine, but no one needs to take it personal. And I believe that fosters a very healthy type of atmosphere to build a roster. 
because I mean, you take a look at the Chiefs, their personnel department is staffed to the hilt. It's got a lot of guys in there and they all have a voice and they're all responsible. And one of the things that polls gets credit for is building that offensive line. And I mean, drafting Creed Humphrey in last year's draft, having the foresight to do that. And now he's an all pro center, I believe as a rookie, um, just a really fantastic rookie center. You, you have to be excited because I go back to, I take a look at teams. Free agency is a dangerous way to build a team. It gets you in cap problems mm-hmm. and it just it, it makes your team old quickly. You have to build your foundation through the draft. And quite frankly, the bears haven't been good enough in that department. And you see the teams looking for a GM. I think that's a trend with all of them yeah. <laughs> that they are not built properly. Uh, the Giants especially uh, have a number of horrible contracts on the team because they had to spend the free agency because they could not build the draft. So I think this is a, a great hire for the Bears. And um, truly, I think you. It's, it's funny that you hired another Ryan P and another yeah. Matt. I said coach, but I, I will get to the coach in a second. <laughs> but I do think that the future is much brighter for this guy because he's young, he's forward thinking. And like you said, football is one in the trenches and his his prior uh, his prioritization of uh, the offensive line would really make me excited, especially when you have a young quarterback. The best yeah. gift you can give a young quarterback uh, is with is an offensive line. So we're going to talk about head coaches in a second, but first the uh, the last GM opening. No, it's not the last GM opening. The Raiders still have a GM opening. Um, I always forget that Mike. Mayock well, hold on. We have another GM opening. It hasn't been official yet either. It looks like there will be the Jacksonville Jaguars will be open. It looks like Trent Balky had been fired this morning. Yeah. Uh, right. That's what you're referring to, I assume. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. So this was the, there originally three, it was the giants bears and Vikings. Looks like there are two more now with Mike Mayock uh, getting the, the foot. And then uh, now here comes the uh, Jaguars. So the Vikings, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce this name. Uh, I have not heard it said out loud. Uh, <laughs> so it is Quezzi Adolfo Mensa. That's the best shot I got on that one. Um, he was, let's see, the Cleveland Browns vice president of football operations. He has been announced as the Vikings general manager. And look, I give the Browns a lot of crap for how they handled Odell Beckham Jr. But for the most part, the Browns of late have been good at drafting and have a really talented football roster. So when you look at his body of work, I don't know a ton about the guy, but it seems like they're willing to give him a chance and he must have interviewed really well. So we'll see what happens with the Vikings here. But at the surface, I like the hire. Yeah, my only issue with the Vikings is, and a lot of their fans are acting like Ryan Poles is this bum. You know, it's okay to recognize, you know, a great hire by another team, especially your division rival. I mean, we've watched the Packers get Matt LaFleur and, you know, no one really thought too much of it. And now he's this great coach, um, also with Aaron Rodgers, but that team's well run. Um Mensa could be a great GM. I don't know enough about him, Randy. I just, I don't know. And I, I don't want to say something that may not be true about the gentleman. You know, I, I think there's a lot of upside about hiring a young outside the box thinking GM. The one thing I've heard about him was that he was not built in a culture of football. Like he, f- football was not the sport yeah. that he grew up in. So um that might be a little bit of a challenge, but I don't buy into that either. I I think it gives you the ability to look at things a little bit more objectively instead of pigeonholing yourself into this box. So I I think it's an interesting hire for the Vikings. Um, I I definitely think he was their number two. Ryan Poles was their number one by far, but you know, getting your second guy is not the worst thing either. 
Yeah, and some background information is that he was hired uh, to the, the Browns hired him in 2020 after he spent seven years with the, the San Francisco 49ers, who, you know, I've been critical of their drafting, but since 2018, they've done a nice job of assembling that roster. Uh, and then he's only 40 years old, so he's a young guy. Um, and then before 2013, when he was in the NFL, he worked in Wall Street uh, as a portfolio man- manager and a commodities trader. So, I mean, he has a finance background, so that could be good for your cap situation. And maybe, like you said, maybe he walks in without any preconceived notions about anybody. He can just make straight up transactional decisions that uh, make sense to him. So good luck to him. I don't really know what else to say about it. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. So, okay. We'll see about, uh, you know, potentially Adrian Wilson with the Jags seems to be the the way that's going. The Raiders, I have no idea what the Raiders are doing. (laughs) We'll we'll find out about that uh, probably uh, next week or, you know, honestly it might take longer. Who knows? Um, But Head coach hires. We've had two of them official today. Um, rumors about some others, and you know, some will probably be official in the next 24 to 48 hours. Let's start with the one that was announced early this morning. Uh, Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett um, has been announced as the Broncos general, man- uh, general manager, as the Broncos head coach, <laughs> replacing Vic Fangio. Uh, Hackett had been the Packers offensive coordinator for the last three years. Along, well, he went there with Matt Lafleur, so he's been the offensive coordinator when they've won 13 games each of the last three seasons. Obviously, it helps that you have Aaron Rodgers, uh, but before that, he worked with the Jaguars organization with. Uh, his name escapes me, uh, <laughs> uh, Doug Marone. Thank you. Uh, that came to me. Uh, but he, you know, was the quarterback's coach there. He was offensive coordinator for Blake Bortles, which I don't think was a great offense, but had moments. Um, so he's been in the NFL for a while. He was with the Bills. He was with Syracuse. He kind of followed Marone around a little bit for a while. Um, his dad was Paul Hackett, who was in the NFL for a while. So this move to me feels sort of uh, like foreshadowing in a way. Obviously, you predicted Aaron Rodgers to go to the Denver Broncos. If that's the case, this is the start of that that move right now. Yeah, I, I think this is the groundwork to try to convince them to get Rodgers and to get Devontae Adams. I, I think it's a two-for-one deal. And mm-hmm. I, I am scared to think of a wide receiving core of Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, and Devontae Adams with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and Noah Fan at tight end. That is terrifying. Good run game, too. Yeah, yeah. And the offensive line is not bad. And that defense is is okay. You know, they're middle of the pack, but they're, they're okay defense. And you're, they're going to be playing with a lot of leads. Maybe Bradley Chubb can take the next step forward. I think he's largely been kind of like good. When he plays, he's really good. But the issue is he doesn't play a whole lot. Yeah. So he has to stay healthy for this team to really realize that potential. And obviously Von Miller got traded, so they no longer have him. But Denver has a lot of picks to play with, and I I think it's an interesting matchup. To me, the biggest key is what what is Aaron Rodgers going to want to do? Because going going from the NFC North to the AFC West is a big, big jump. And, you know, there's a possibility, and I think we were talking about this earlier, where conceivably he may not even make the playoffs in the AFC West. Possible. Yeah, it's not that far off. But, I mean, you get Rodgers and Adams, I think that squarely puts them as the second-best team in the AFC right behind the Chiefs. But the issue is, like, Rodgers seems to be shrinking in the playoff moments when they matter the most. So it'll be interesting to see how the Broncos approach this. 
a lot of those years where they coast to the playoffs because of their division and they get in the top seeds because they get the Lions and the Vikings two times a year. And then they get the Bears, depending on how, how they are, which Rodgers doesn't seem to struggle with them very much either. I mean, that's a big difference. I mean, I know the Chargers seem to puke all over themselves often, but it's not the same. And if competition gets worse, the longer the season is and the harder it is to make the playoffs. So we'll see. I don't know for sure Rodgers is going to go, but if this is the plan, getting Hackett is the first step. So, and like you said, if it's a package deal with Adams, the Broncos are going to be pretty, uh, pretty fun to watch next year, if that's the case. So going to keep an eye on the Broncos because I don't know what they do with Bridgewater at that point or Drew Locke. We'll see. I mean, I'm sure that they can just dump those guys, but yeah. okay. I mean, it's fine. And in a vacuum, it's fine. I think I'm glad the Broncos went with an offensive guy because I thought for sure Dan Quinn was, <laughs> was going to get that job or another defensive guy. Um, but good for the Broncos for trying to get better on offense if they don't get Rodgers even. Now to your team, Matt Bushnell, uh, officially announced their head coach, Ryan Poles, first matter of business, first order of business is to hire Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator. Uh, you and I have already talked about this today, but it's time to put it on record on the podcast. Um, when you have a young quarterback, I kind of feel like you should hire a guy who's going to help develop him. And it's not to say that Eberflus can't do that, but he's a defensive coordinator. He works with the defense. Um, obviously, he interviewed enough to think that they could, uh, you know, he could be a leader of men on both sides of the ball. So um, to me, uh, this is a fine hire. I think the Colts and Bears defenses are pretty similar talent wise. I think it'll be a good defense under Eberflus. You need now for the Bears to hire a great staff around this guy. I think you need to nail the offensive coordinator and the quarterback coach to truly develop fields. Um, and that's my main issue is, is quarterback development. So if you hire the right coordinators, I'm good with it. If not, I have serious questions. Yeah, and I have to believe that was a large part of the interview process. Like, I, I don't think you go into hiring a guy like Matt Eberflus, his first time as a head coach, without having some assurances that these are the guys I'm going to have on my staff. I think Dan Quinn had the luxury of being in the NFL for so long and developing a lot of connections. Not that Eberflus doesn't have connections, because he does. But what I find interesting with Eberflus is a couple of things with the Bears. And number one, his biggest supporter is Rod Marinelli. Rod Marinelli swears by this guy and basically taught him the Tampa two. So I think we're going to see some Tampa two come back to Chicago. And as we all know, um, Tampa Bay was really good with Tampa two. Mm -hmm. Chicago lived off of it for a long time and they were very successful with it, with the likes of Erlacher, Peanut Tillman, Lance Briggs, Tommy Harris, uh, you know, Julius Peppers was in it for a little bit. But the key is you got to have a good three technique and you got to have some really good edge rushers, which the Bears happen to be. And I, I don't believe that this is such a bad hire. I know a lot of Bear fans are like really jumping on that edge. But um, Anthony Heron, who does a lot of work for the Big Ten and Chicago sports radio, basically said it's, it's not bad. If you take a look at the guys, if you take a look at Sean McDermott and you take a look at Mike Vrabel, both defensive guys whose imprint is on the entire team, this is what we're going to do. They don't just focus on the defense. They trust someone with their defense, but it's their team. You know, they're not calling any plays. And that was kind of the reason why we saw Tennessee not fail, you know, fall flat on their faces during the Derrick Henry in an injury is because that's who their coach was, resilient, tough. And it took on that team aspect of Mike Vrabel, who at one time, Randy, when we did the podcast, he said he was going to cut off his junk. Um, 
So I seriously doubt that Tennessee took that mantra, but to me, I don't know enough about it. And this is what I would say to all fans of all football teams. You, I've seen a lot of coaches win press conferences. I've seen a lot of coaches do terrible at press conferences. I've seen them fail and I've seen them succeed on both sides. It doesn't really matter to me anymore. And it shouldn't matter to fans either about the press conferences or what people say about them. These guys are all going to be talked up by everyone that they're close to. You, you just have to judge it by wins and losses now. Like either Eberflus is going to be a great success or a great failure. And the only way we're going to know that no matter how much you shit on him right now, or no matter how much you praise him right now, it doesn't mean anything until you see how this team responds week one through week 18 next year. How many head coaches have the bears have now since Lovey Smith? Can we go down the list? This is their fourth one. That's it. I feel like it's more than that. No, um, first one was Tressman, then Fox, then Nagy, and this is Eberflus. I guess Smith got fired later than I expected him to. Okay. 2000, uh, 2011-ish, 12-ish. Okay. I, so it was Tressman, Fox, Nagy, and now Eberflus. So good luck to Ryan and Matt once again, uh, <laughs> the Bears front office and head coach representatives. What is up with them with Ryan and Matt? <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, I, you know, I didn't want them to hire a Matt. I, I, I said that last episode, you but did. you know what? I, I, I'm okay with the defensive side of the football, but I agree with you. The, the offensive staff is going to have to be strong. And, you know, I hear names like Mike Kafka, um, Pat Shermer, who I love, who, you know, his name hasn't been mentioned yet, but it should be. Yeah. And I even like Jim Caldwell, you know, and maybe Pep Hamilton is a guy that you can bring in to work with Fields at quarterback. There's options here, and I hope they look into all of those. What about Matt Nagy? He's an offensive coordinator in the past. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I have a feeling the Giants are going to hire him as offensive coordinator, so I'm just making myself laugh at that now because I just think that's what's going to end up. I, I think Nagy has to take a year off. You're probably right. Hey, listen, you know, there's the Carolina Panthers hired an offensive coordinator this week. None other than former New York Giant head coach Ben McAdoo. What a great hire, Matt Rule, you friggin' idiot. I just wanted to throw that out there as uh, this this coaching staff is an absolute disaster, and I can't wait to watch them run 11 personnel on all three downs all the time. Well, you know, I, I think with McAdoo, at, at least – you could say out of the past head coaches, he may have been the most successful <laughs> for the Giants. Um, well, he got the spending spree that Jerry Reese kind of left for <laughs> us. That's kind of how the residual effects are still ongoing. But, yeah, you're right. He at least made the playoffs. Yeah. So, I mean, not the greatest of um, situations. But to me, at the end of the day, I, I think take a look at McAdoo and that Panthers system and Sam Darnold and the mess. The Panthers are just an entire mess, you know, and it's, it's a big problem there. McAdoo owes his entire life savings to Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, Aaron Rodgers because it really was for those two why he really had any success because he ran this the off, worst offense I ever seen just slants running into each other all the time and he's lucky Odell was able to take them to the house in 2016 a bunch of times where the Giants weren't making the playoffs that year anyway so boy oh boy I can't wait to see just how awful even worse really Sam Darnold's going to look with Ben McAdoo as a head coach so 
Always All right. I, said, I just said that for fun. I wanted to poke, poke fun at Ben McAdoo and the Panthers. But um, now there are still, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven head coaching uh, vacancies still. And then uh, there are the two suspected two um, GM openings. So let's let's just briefly mention teams that still need a head coach. And this is obviously going to change uh, soon. It could be even by the end of the day. It could be within minutes after we're live. That seems to be the trend of the show. Um, but the Giants, the Saints, the Jaguars, the Vikings. Vikings, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Texans. Um, if I missed any team there, let me know. But um, you got the Saints, still, right? I did say the Saints is the second name, and they were not the team I expected. I think they are going to hire um, their defensive coordinator, who seems to be a popular name, um, interviewing. Uh, his name escapes me at the moment as well. But among these teams, Matt, do you have anyone that you think is the right fit? Who's going to hire someone, you know, soonest? I mean, all of them. I feel like the Texas, uh, the uh, I should say the Jaguars are going to be the team that messes it up the most. You've already seen big Fangio rumors there. Um, but I think I hope they go with Byron Left, which who knows? The Giants have seemed to have narrowed it down to a pair of Bryans and Dable and Flores, but we'll see what happens there. And then it's important to know that Dan Quinn has taken his name out of the race for all of these teams. Um, I don't know who he wanted or what he wanted exactly, but he is going to stay as the Cowboys defensive coordinator. I think that's a smart move for him. I think that's where he's most valuable but what do you make of these remaining opening positions i i still like the raiders i'm pretty high on the raiders and i, I do like the vikings opening i think that has a lot of opens i the next two to drop in my opinion are going to be the giants and then the jaguars in either order i think those two have the closest idea of who they want um and, and then i mean i'll throw the dolphins in there too i think the dolphins again pretty close and if I had to guess, I'm going to guess Leftwich to the Jags, Flores to the Giants, and Dayball to the Dolphins. Okay. No Mike McDaniel to Florida, no, no legalized marijuana, so he's not going to go? I mean, th th that's what you told me. So that's why I, <laughs> I didn't – like, I find Mike McDaniel very interesting. I would take him on the Bears in a heartbeat. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, look, I like entertaining press conferences. I, and that guy is funny. I think he does a good job with run fits and he gets the whole run scheme and the precision and timing. If he's their offensive coordinator, I wouldn't be upset about it, but I don't see it. I don't think, I don't think he leaves San Francisco for Chicago at all. Uh, he's not for the same position. I don't think he leaves unless he has a head coaching job. What's yeah. interesting is do you, if you're Mike McDaniel, do you look around the scope of the league and you're like, do I want to like, obviously Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay have had success, but like, do you want to be another Kyle Shanahan protege that just can't beat him ever? <laughs> it just seems like all the other guys just lose to him all the time. <laughs> just, I think I would kind of keep that in the perspective a little bit. Is he the Nick Saban of the NFL? It's possible. <laughs> Belichick, maybe, maybe he's the, the new Belichick, the offensive Belichick, except well, he's on Super Bowls. I, I mean, the godfather would have to be Andy Reid then because he can beat all of them. True. You're so, right. <laughs> so maybe Andy Reid and then Kyle Shanahan is just under that. So, you know what? Maybe Reid is Bill Parcells and then Shanahan's Bill Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and then Vince asked this question, where does Wink Martindale go? We even mentioned that the Ravens part uh, parted yeah. ways with their uh, longtime defensive coordinator. And I, I think it's kind of wrong uh, that they just kind of blamed him for a lot of their issues. I think they have more issues on offense personally, oh, yeah. but they had a ton of injuries. And I think Wink Martindale's a really good coach, and I would certainly welcome him on the Giants. But is there a certain spot that you think he fits? Without seeing where all the other head coaches land, it's nearly impossible. I mean, there's a lot of teams with some pretty good defenses. One thing I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm just throwing it out there, um, the Saints, 
you know, if Dennis Allen gets the head coaching job there, I think Week Martindale would be a strong candidate to end up with the Saints. I would also throw out the same logic with the Colts. Now that they don't have Eberflus anymore, I could see that being the, the spot where he just slides into. Yeah, I'd have to see because I, I do believe he plays a 3-4 style of defense, and, and the Colts are small-ish on the line. Although DeForest Buckner did play a five-technique defensive end in a 3-4 with the 49ers, mm-hmm. and I, I think he can go there. But you, you have to have that run step, big run-stuffing nose tackle, and I think the mountain in Georgia is going to go in the first round somewhere, and the Colts don't have a first-round pick. Hey, the Giants have a very expensive nose tackle that he can come coach up. That would be fine with me. Uh, and Leonard Williams, I think Wink White might like uh, Leonard Williams quite a bit. Yeah. So, uh, all right, those are all the openings, and I'm sure, and it happens every time. News is going to come out tonight or after the show. Someone's going to get hired. It's going to happen. That's how it always happens. And we won't be able to talk about it until Tuesday. That's not fair, but that's how life works. But it is time. The news is done. I mean, we had a ton of news. We haven't had news like this in such a long time. It was great to talk about transactions and movement. Yeah. Absolutely love it. But, Matt, there, there are teams that are successful that are still playing, that aren't making moves, that are trying to become the best of the best to secure their legacy as champions of the National Football League. And there are four teams remaining, both of these games on Sunday. It is officially championship weekend. I am jacked up, cannot wait for these games. And it's a rematch of games that have already happened this year. So there's storylines galore here. It is second-year quarterback. We're going to start off with the first game. The second-year quarterback, Joe Burrow, Joe Cool, the new Joe Montana, Joe Shiesty, whatever you want to call him. He's an absolute stud of a quarterback. Absolutely love him. He gets to uh, play spoiler again for the Kansas City Chiefs. If you remember, the reason the Chiefs don't have the number one seed is because they lost that game to the Bengals in week 17. That was a great game, but that was in Cincinnati. This time, it is in Kansas City. And the Chiefs open up as a seven-point favorite for that reason. I think that's too big of a number, but that's how that's how much respect they have. And after Mahomes went God mode on the Bills, I think they're <laughs> like, all right, the Chiefs aren't messing around anymore. Uh, they mean business. Uh, this game's at 3 o'clock on CBS, and it kicks off championship weekend. Uh, the only question I have, and I, I feel like maybe I should have more after the game Chase had against them. I think he had over 200 yards. He had three touchdowns. This was just weeks ago. I mean, this is still fresh in our minds, um, is maybe the status of Tyron Matthew, because he got out, knocked out earlier that Bills game. If he's going to play, which I haven't heard that he won't, but it was concussion protocol, I believe, so you can't really be too sure. Um, the Bengals and Chiefs, I love this matchup. It should be entertaining as all hell. Um, I think my gut feeling, Matt, as I, as I tossed to you and have you talk about it, is that the seven numbers too big i think the chiefs win but i think the Bengals cover the interesting thing for me is chris jones missed that game against the Bengals the first time around and and it's going to kansas city Uh, chris jones is an all pro defensive tackle i mean he absolutely makes a huge difference on the defensive line and the fact that joe burrow got hit nine times last week or i'm sorry he got hit more than nine he got sacked nine times yes correct (laughs) I, i i don't that worries me for the Bengals. And the, the issue I find is with Jamar Chase is Steve Spagnola, and this is the part that infuriated me. He let Gabriel Davis just go off for four touchdowns without double coverage and without bracketing him. And I get it, you got Stefan Diggs. That's the same thing they did with Chase. Yeah. Prior. I, I know. And, and it's infuriating to me as a football person. Like, I've played football my entire life, I've watched football, I've done all this film. It doesn't take a genius to figure out, okay. That guy I have to stop today. And they were single covering all their guys, all the Bills guys, and they just let Gabriel Davis go off. 
So I have serious questions for Spagnola. If he lets Chase go off, it's going to be within seven points. If they contain Chase, I think the Chiefs run away with this. Um, I take a look at what happened in Tennessee and how they just let that dog shit Tennessee team just making all those mistakes hang with them is because the Chief, the Tennessee Titans defense just kept on hitting Burrow every chance they got. So if they don't protect Burrow, it's going to be a long day. And I'm going to take Chiefs in the seven. I, I think the Chiefs cover. I think that's interesting because the, the Bengals have this just moxie about them. And I'll just go down some of the statistics from the first matchup that I find interesting. The first one being Burrow went 30 of 39 for 446 yards, four touchdowns. He was sacked four times, but like we said, last week was nine times. And you said, as you pointed out, no Chris Jones in the first matchup. So I expect those numbers to sort of even themselves out. Doesn't mean he won't have a great game, but that is, you know, beyond even a great game. The Bengals didn't run the ball very well. They only had 60 yards rushing as a team. I think that might change. Here's another one. Chase. 11 catches for 266 yards and three touchdowns. He had that 72-yarder slant where he just cooked, he just burnt one safety and had the angle and just was gone. Um, and then you had also Higgins, three for 62 in that game. Burrow just spreads the ball around to so many receivers. He's so poised and so good about going through his progressions in that way. The other thing I want to point out is the other side. Patrick Mahomes was 26 to 35, 259 yards, two touchdowns. They ran the ball pretty well. Uh, Daryl Williams had 14 carries for 88 yards and two touchdowns. They had 155 yards on the ground as a team. Um, Mecole Hardman had a long catch for 53 yards. Tyree Kill only had six for 40, and Travis Kelsey only had five for 25. I think what changes in this game especially is the Bengals sort of come back to earth a little bit, but we saw last week what Patrick Mahomes did to the number one defense in the NFL. And I know the Bengals defense is a little bit feisty. They played well recently, but you're not playing Ryan Tannehill this week. If you're playing that version of Patrick Mahomes, it's going to be a long day for you. I expect this to be a full blown shootout in every sense of the word. And the first game was 34, 34 to 31. I expect this to be even greater. And I think the chiefs win probably 41 to 38. And that's kind of where I think in this, this point range is. And I don't, I don't think it's a seven point lead. I don't think they kill them by any means. Cause I just have a ton of respect for burrow and the Bengals offense. And I just get the feeling that we're in for an all time offensive classic in this one. Yeah, I have to believe with Melvin Ingram and Chris Jones going back to their normal sides, I, I think that puts some pressure. Look, the, the Bills have a good offensive line. The Bills are really good on the offensive line. They And let's face it, Josh Allen's hard to take down. Burrow's not that stout of a quarterback as Josh Allen is. So this is where I think the rubber meets the road here. What the Chiefs can do is once they get to Burrow, they can take him down. They couldn't get Allen down. That's what you saw in the game. Allen shrugging off sacks. Allen's a big dude. Joe Burrow's about 6'2-ish, probably about 220-ish. And, you know, Josh Allen's like 6'5", 250. So, I mean, it's a big difference. At 30 pounds, you may not think of it as a big difference, but go step on the scale after you lose 30 pounds and you'll see a big difference. But, you know, to, to me, I, I go back to it. The Chiefs kind of get in these modes during the regular season where, you know, it's they take a deep breath and then they just relax. They are on a mission. What I see from this team is that when the lights are the brightest, that's when this team comes alive. If they would have played on Sunday Night Football, I think that probably would have been a different football game. And I think the Chiefs would have won it, even with Chase going for 11 and 266 and three touchdowns. Remember, 
the Chiefs were, had 28 points in the first half. They only scored three in the second half. I do not think that's going to happen again. So I'm, I'm going to go the Chiefs 35 to the Bengals 22. Wow. And I think the, the, the Chiefs at their best typically start slow. And then when they start to get into a flow, as you saw against Pittsburgh, they're almost impossible to defend. And then you saw with the Bills, I thought that was more of a complete game. But at the end, when they were really hot, it was just back and forth nonstop. And whoever had the ball last was most likely going to win. And then it just happened to leave 13 seconds on there. And we've gone through it and, and et cetera. I almost think we're going to get a recap of what happened, like almost a, 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 the same game. Essentially, we got against the Bills. I don't want to discredit Josh Allen, but I think Burrow is just as good to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes, you know, as Allen. I don't think he's as mobile or as athletic, but I do think he's capable of making plays, extending drives. Burrow is that guy. I get the vibe that he is so cool under pressure. He is not afraid of this moment. And if you listen to everything the Bengals say, it's like, hey, we're not content being here. We want to win this. Joe Burrow is like, we're, we're supposed to be here and we're supposed to win. Like, we're, we're not we're not just saying, oh, we had a great season. We made it to the AFC title game. Like, we want this. I think that matters. I think your mindset, your mentality coming in means everything because the Chiefs are in this sec- in this run that they're on is fourth fourth straight AFC Championship game that they are established. They know how to do this. They have the playoff experience. They know what to do. The Bengals, I would say, do not. But I love the fearlessness, and that's why I think this is going to be a competitive football game. I'll say officially, the the Chiefs forty one to the Bengals thirty seven, and I think it's going to come down to the very end, just like the Bills game did. My issue. And I took this for granted in the Super Bowl last year where I said, well, Patrick Mahomes is so so good. The offensive line doesn't matter. And I feel like we're doing the same thing with the Bengals right now, where everyone's just dismissing the fact that Joe Burrow got hit 15 times and he was hurried 33 times. Like that stuff adds up. The Chiefs didn't get to him the first game for whatever reason. But what I saw from Tennessee and then the week prior, you know, they can get to him and that's has to concern you for any quarterback. And when you get players in third and long and everything, and and keep in mind, if it wasn't for a dumbass play call on defense, the Bengals would have lost that game. You know, I think it was like third and 29 or something. And they left Jamar chase one-on-one, which was completely idiotic. And he scores a touchdown there. Um, You know, you can't do that. And I, I think hopefully the chiefs learn from that, but even with that, offensive line play matters the Chiefs will be able to protect Patrick Mahomes and I don't think that the Bengals will be able to protect Joe Burrow I do agree how much of the offensive line is concerned and how much Burrow gets hit is a real concern but all Burrow has shown us is that he can take the hits and continue to be competitive Um, I just want to point out his playoff stats so far against the Raiders who only sacked him twice which is a, more of an indictment on the Raiders than it is the Bengals. But Burrow, 24-34, 244 yards, two touchdowns. I don't even think he played particularly well in that game. I, I, I looked for more from Burrow there. But really impressed me was last week, well, like you said, he was hurried so many times, sacked nine times. That's almost unheard of against the Titans, who I would say the Titans have a much better defense than the Chiefs have. Burrow, 28-37 for 348 yards, didn't throw a touchdown and threw a pick, and nine times for 68 yards. Like, he's just so poise it doesn't bother him I mean unless he physically gets injured I don't expect him to be phased by all the pressure like obviously it'll affect the Bengals offense and the flow but he's going to come back and keep slinging and I just have that respect for the Bengals especially for Joe Burrow and I you know their receivers are good their, their weapons are good they can get open quickly and I don't think the Chiefs are as good of a defense as the Titans so I don't expect the Chiefs to really make it as difficult as Tennessee did last week yeah I'm and I 
look, the, the, the betters are asking you to take the Bengals to cover this. You know, the, the, they're giving it to you on a platter and it's fool's gold. My advice is take the Chiefs and the spread here because it's just – it's candy right now. Look, you take the Chiefs and you win, bless you. I don't I don't blame you for that. <laughs> but I just – I have a little bit of respect for the Bengals. And I do think if you're a Bengals fan, you're like, all right, cool, we made it this far. But I don't think the Bengals feel that way. And, you know, uh, they're this far for a reason. It's because that they are frisky and, and they, they fight and they battle. And that's just how good they are. And, and I expect them to give the Chiefs hell. And I expect the Chiefs to do what the Chiefs do and pull it out in the end because they are insanely clutch and they're a great offensive team. And uh, that's just, you know, it, it'll be a great season. And the Bengals can reevaluate in the offseason, draft offensive linemen, and really make a legit run as a legit contender because they kind of took all of us by surprise, I think, a little bit, winning the division, making it this far. Hey, great job. Now build off of it and get even further next year. And I do think that they're going to be hella competitive, uh, competitive in this one. So yeah. I think the Chiefs are your AFC representative again for the third straight year, Matt Bush. I think there's no argument from you there. Yeah, no. And, and I, I want to get to two points made by Vince really quick. Um, the fact that um, Mahomes has only two playoff losses and it's only to one quarterback and that's the Tom Brady. Yep. As good as Joe Burrow is, and this is what Vince got to in his first point, is it's a big ask for him to go into Kansas City and, and do this with a subpar offensive line. So, you know, it's a big ask. Uh, you know, my advice is take the Chiefs and the points. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think the only our disagreement is that I think it's going to be more competitive. But hey, we both think the Chiefs are still going to be there. Uh, just I, I just think we need to appreciate what we're watching with the Chiefs because it is ridiculous uh, the run that they're on, and uh, fourth straight AFC title game at home, and it's probably going to be the third straight Super Bowl that they are in. Now, it, if things go the way we think, Matt Bush, no, it is possible that we could have a rematch of the Super Bowl from two years ago. Um, and that would mean our friend Henry Maldonado Jr. would be thrilled uh, if, with the outcome of that game. And speak of the devil, look who is joining us now, our resident San Francisco 49ers fan, our founder, our leader, uh, our friend Henry Maldonado. Henry, it's good to see you, my friend. How the hell are you? What's going on, boys? What's going on? Keeping me entertained at work. Yeah, looking good, my man. Red sweater, clean shaven. And the red was was uh, by coincidence, too, so I like it. <laughs> we couldn't talk about the Niners potentially making the Super Bowl without bringing you on. Uh, we give you a lot of shit for the Niners. And, uh, yes, right you motherfuckers so. do. <laughs> but you ultimately get to uh, get the bragging rights because the Niners are here in the Final Four. You're not going to apologize for it. Uh, how's nope. the run been for you so far? I am uh, not going to apologize. Talk- yeah, I mean, you know, why would you? Uh, I don't think it's quite as enjoyable, uh, as much of an enjoyment as 2019 per se. But I mean, this run is, it feels magical at this point, right? So it's funny you say that because I, if you look at the 2019 team, you know, we had guys like Emmanuel Sanders who probably still hates Jimmy and still has dreams because <laughs> you give him one one accurate pass and, and 2019 is, is very different. And, and I honestly think we look at the Chiefs a little differently if the Niners win that game, by the way. Mm-hmm. Because now you're talking about two losses in four championship games, maybe even three if they lose this weekend. But that's another story. Um, you know, we lose guys like Joe Staley. We replaced him with Trent Williams. We lost Richard Sherman and we replaced him with Ambry Thomas, who I love. Get rid of guys like Kendrick Bourne. Um, Raheem starts hurt. You know, we replaced him with Juwan Jennings and Eli Mitchell. I'm, I'm happy with that. We're not supposed to be here. 
We're, we're not supposed to be here. We, we were decimated with injuries. We started the season slow. We got our ass handed to us in the, the first quarter of the season. We weren't supposed to be here. Um, so 2019, we were supposed to be there. We, we kicked everyone's ass. We were expected to be there. And it hurt a little more when we lost because of it. This year, it's, I'm enjoying the ride, man. We're not supposed to be here. And then we, I'm, I love being the underdog right now. You know, uh, as a Yankee fan, I don't get to enjoy that often. <laughs> football gives <laughs> but, us that um, perspective, as, for sure. Look, with, with football, your span of, of being good is, is very short. Your window is very small, and you have to take advantage of it. And credit to Kyle Shanahan and his crew because we were able to get back in a couple of years. Um, we're probably going to lose, you know, both of our coordinators with all these coaching searches. Um, I, I love what this team is doing. <clears throat> you guys know how I feel about Jimmy G. I think Jimmy G is the only thing holding us back. Um, <laughs> Debo can only do but so much. And, and you guys know how much I love Debo. And, and I know you think he's a trinket, Randy. Um, but I, I love the dude, man. I, I absolutely love the dude. There's something about him that's – I think he's the most exciting and most entertaining player in the game. You know, is he the best wide receiver? No. I think he's top five, you know, somewhere. So I'll give him top ten for sure. You can make an argument for top five. But he's fucking exciting, man. Everything he does, this defense is exciting. The way Fred Warner's running all over the place, you know, Greenlaw when he's healthy. I really, really, really love this matchup. Six and no, the Rams haven't beaten us since 08. I mean, since 18. That's that's tough. Okay. I mean, the law of averages, <laughs> the law of averages say that do, right? Well, the the big question going in this game, Henry, and I, I think you have to be mildly concerned about it is is Trent Williams going to be 100% going against a Von Miller, who's famously known for a great bend. Um, typically he's able to bend right underneath a big offensive tackle and get to the quarterback. Are you confident in Trent Williams ability to block Von Miller without getting help? Um, I think a healthy Trent Williams has problems with a healthy Von Miller anyway. Um, but you give me Trent Williams at 80% and he's still probably better than most left tackles in this game. So you know, he's the highest rated player in, in, in PFF the entire season in 20. Excuse me. That's the soundtrack of Harlem in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, 80% of Trent Williams. And I'm happy with that. Like I said, he's the best left tackle in football. He's the highest rated player um, per PFF this year. So uh, give me him hurt. Give me him healthy. I, I want him on my team no matter what. All right. So I know I often get credit for watching a lot of tape and I do, but I didn't watch a lot of 49ers Rams tape throughout the year. It's just two teams. I really didn't pay that much attention mm -hmm. to tell me what the 49ers did well against the Rams and enabled them to win both games this year. The same thing that they did against the rest of the NFL and they just run the ball down their throats. Um, what they were able to do well is, contain you know the Robert Woods and those outside threats by keeping them on the inside and having those safeties come over and help over the middle they can, can if they can do that if they can stop those those outside um, receivers getting loose it's a wrap if Odell is outside if Cooper Cup is on the outside one-on-one -on -one matchups it's a wrap they're going to burn us that's just what they do you know Stafford is accurate um, those guys they can run they can catch they're great route runners if we can stop them from doing that if we can keep those guys in the middle of the field I really think we have a shot there. 
I really thought the Rams kind of dominated the first half against you guys. They're up 17, nothing. And then Matt, you pointed this out earlier is that McVay, when he has leads in the, or if he's in a big game sort of calls games poorly. And I think Shanahan gets kind of cute too. Sometimes McVay is probably even worse with this. Um, I talk about a psychological impact with Tom Brady pretty often and how like mm-hmm. his presence alone makes teams second get them, guess themselves. Do you think Shanahan being the protege to McVay sort of gets in Sean's head a little bit uh, when they're playing each other? Give me one second, guys. Yeah. Oh, I'll go ahead and answer that. I do think Shanahan gets in some people's <laughs> minds a little bit just because he knows these guys since his days in Washington. I know there was a post, you know, and there was some criticism lovely about the good old boys network, and that may have some validity to it. But beyond the point, Shanahan brought a lot of these guys up with him. Yeah. So it's like everything that he knows, he taught these guys. So I, I think there is a distinct advantage there. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry about that. Absolutely choked think, in that last one. Go ahead. Yeah, Shanahan does this a bit. He he gets cute. I think sometimes he he's a very good coach, you know. And I think sometimes he tries to overcoach and he tries to, you know, in this case, you're facing a guy like McVeigh who does the same thing. You know, you start to think, does this guy know my playbook? Does he know what I'm going to do here? So let me do something different just to kind of get that extra edge. Sometimes you just got to go with what works. Um, you guys know I've been saying they need to get Kittle involved a little bit more. You know, what Shanahan does, if you watch him play, he plays four different types of offense all four quarters. You know, he's showing you something different every quarter. If we're getting two to three drives a quarter, every every drive is something different. And sometimes whatever works, you just have to keep doing that until they can stop it. I think, Matt, you could probably speak to this better than me, but what Shanahan does really well, and I think McVeigh and LaFleur and all the other protégés sort of adopted, adopted it, is that he really took his dad's offense and sort of perfected it. It's a wide run zone scheme, right? It's it's sort of like the linemen explode horizontally, and it's a counter rush attack off tackle and in certain gaps. And I think that Kyle has done that probably better than anybody, but you kind of see McVeigh and all the other coaches sort of adapt to it. Matt, what is it about that run game that's so just mesmerizing and difficult to defend because offensive linemen don't block a man per se they block a zone an area where it's blocked off where this guy has to block anything that comes in this area and what happens is a lot of defenses sometimes lose gap integrity sometimes they penetrate too far and sometimes they'll take themselves out of that zone by themselves and that frees up a blocker to go get the guy at the next level. And that enables a lot of the 49ers running backs and even Debo Samuel to get even more yardage. And you give a guy like Elijah Mitchell who runs hard, you know, I I love watching that kid run the football. He is a ground and pound. I'm carrying three Mm -hmm. guys with me to get the extra yards and then you have a guy like Debo, who's just so fast, you give him a crease and he's gone. Grease lightning, pretty much. So it's a, defenses have to have an extreme amount of discipline going against a zone blocking scheme. Because if you do penetrate too much, it hurts you. I mean, the one X factor in this offense has always been Jimmy G. And I think that's the one thing that hurts this offense more so than anything, because you could see them gaining ground. The running game's effective. And then Jimmy G is the type of quarterback where he gets a wide open wide receiver. Like he had Brandon Ayuk, I believe against Dallas and just completely overthrows them. That messes up your rhythm and your timing and your offense missing a missing a wide open wide receiver on the perfect play call. And it was the perfect play call that could ruin the rhythm and the timing of your offense and set you back an entire series. 
I mean, the Niners Another? showed their hand in how much they like Jimmy by drafting a quarterback third overall <laughs> after trading up there. So I don't think you a need a quarterback to that needs that. help. Yeah, a quarterback that needs a lot of help. So I agree that Jimmy is truly the thing holding you back. And I think the secondary has a little bit of issues too. But overall, the Niners are very you know, talented. I, I think the secondary is, is, is better than we're giving credit for. Embry Thomas throughout the whole throughout the years has gotten better and better at coverage and not drawing flags. And, and you know, sometimes the other teams just make better plays. But I'm, I'm really happy with Embry Thomas' progression. As long as uh, – as a matter of fact, we, we just cut um, – Josh Norman. So that made my day the other day. <laughs> yeah, he's, he cut he's Josh great. Norman and he signed Norman. with Kansas City's practice squad. Oh, of course um, he did. That made me happy. <laughs> so your front seven but, is your bread and butter, though. I mean, your, your pass yeah, yeah, rush yeah. and your linebacking play is really the, the strong suit of your defense. I mean, that's Look, what's going to be the, in this game. The key to us winning is, is, is two things. 35. If we run that ball 35 times, chances are we're winning the game. You run the ball that much, you control the time of possession and you win that game. If we get down early, like we did a couple of weeks ago, where we were down 17 nothing, and you have to throw that ball to get back, you're playing with fire because you're asking Jimmy to do things that he shouldn't be doing. Yeah. I think my biggest concern coming into this and looking on the Rams side of the football is what Matthew Stafford is going to show up. Um, you know, I find it kind of ironic that these two teams were actually in the running to get Stafford mm -hmm. and it's Jimmy G versus Matthew Stafford. And we both know that the 49ers lost their picks along with the Rams for the two quarterbacks. One's on the bench, one starting, but Stafford, I'm wondering if he got over that hump in the fourth quarter last week of just kind of, you know, re releasing sort of that contentious that you have in yourself when you choke away some big moments like he did against the 49ers on that interception that he threw deep to Odell Beckham Jr., kind of a similar situation here against Tampa Bay where he had to make a big throw to Cooper Cup being blitzed. Um, I wonder if that plays into it because we have to look at this from the Rams' perspective as well. Is, our, is, is Aaron Donald going to show up and be a run stuffer? Obviously, he's more of a pass rusher than I think he is a run stuffer, but he still takes up a lot of blocks. Um, to me, it's the Rams here present an interesting matchup. And I think the reason why we focus on the 49er secondary and we talk about Ambry Thomas and Jimmy Ward is, you know, arguably Odell Beckham Jr. is a lot more comfortable in this Rams offense. You know, Cooper Cup is a lot, maybe the NFL's best wide receiver. But looking at this matchup, what do you feel that the Rams can do that are going to hurt you the most? Um, deep ball, throw that deep ball. I think if, if they get those guys in the game and, and they get them out in the flat and they're open, it's a wrap. Stafford is very accurate when he's on. Just like you said, um, his level of confidence has to be sky high after that win. I think both these teams, you know, the Rams shouldn't have won last week, but they did. The Niners shouldn't have been here, but they are. You know, they had to beat the Rams just to get into the playoffs. Um, both teams are going in super confident, but I think if, if the Rams can, can have the Niners um, defending that D-ball game, it, it can be a headache for us. I mean, I think the Rams sort of dominated the Bucs for most of that game. The defensive mm -hmm. line really did a great job. Uh, and really, it's Brady working Brady magic, and they get a couple breaks with turnovers. But overall, I thought Stafford played pretty well. Um, he and then he had his moment at the end, and it kind of saved them. So I think the Rams, I feel much better about them now than I did two weeks ago when they blew the game against the Niners. Um, so um, 
I love Odell Beckham Jr. There's no surprise about that, but he has also been the root of some of Stafford's mistakes. I think some of the chemistry wasn't there right yeah. away. I still think they may still have some issues, but um, I feel like I said much better after they, they they beat up on the Cardinals and then they were able to dethrone Tom Brady. That's not a small thing. Beating Tom Brady in the playoffs is not something everyone does, as we mm-hmm. know. I think that was a big deal for them. I think that's a huge confidence boost. So now that we get to it, it's the Niners and Rams, the last game of the season before the Super Bowl. This is the 630 game on Fox. You got Buck and Aikman on the call. And, and Henry, this is a three and a half point spread. So obviously I think these teams are pretty even. This yeah. is also the first time ever a championship game is at the same location of the Super Bowl. So whoever wins, they're not going anywhere. And then yep. it would be a home game for the Rams as well. So there's a ton of storylines coming in. You are nervous about the 6-0 and aspect of this. I am too. I do think the Rams are in a spot where this is not like a – Oh, they, they're better, so they should win. I feel like they have to win. The Rams sacrificed so much of their future to assemble the team that they have now that if you do, they don't win this game and the, the, the year that the Niners are here when they're not supposed to be, still beat them. The Rams are in some real shit for the next couple of years, and they're not built well for the future beyond next year. So I think the Rams are going to win only because they have to. And I'm, before I give an official prediction, Matt, I want to get your thoughts on that aspect of it because I think we don't even talk about how much they traded first-round picks for Matt Stafford, traded for first round picks for Jalen Ramsey. They mm-hmm. traded away picks for uh, Von Miller and then they paid Odell. They're, they're kind of the, the, the NFL's version of a super team in a way. Like I feel like they have to win. I don't know if they will, but I do feel like in their core and their heart to heart, they know this is their time. My thing with that is I feel like I, I, I look at it like a baseball player, you know, when you're pressing and, and you know, you have to do something, everything's harder as opposed to just playing loose. Like there's no pressure on the 49ers in this game, none. And that's a dangerous team. When a team's playing with house money, they can take bigger risks. They can do different things. Whereas, uh, you know, like McVay, he might clench up a little bit. Like he's going to feel everything that you said, Randy, like they have given up so much to be at this moment. How are they going to play? And I mean, it it weighs on you heavily as a player, you know, in those moments, knowing like it's win or go home, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to be back here next year that falls on Odell. Like where's Odell going to play next year to me, not having won a super bowl being in a super bowl and you know, all these big games, I like the Niners in this matchup. I just oh, no. Why why would you give me the kiss of death, man? I'm sorry. Why would you do I this have to. to me? I, I why have would you to. do I thought we were family. Why would you do this to me? Oh man. Look, my my, my AFC predictions are a lot better than my NFC predictions. Oh, I will God. admit that. Um, but to me, I just go with the looser team. I, I three and a half. I mean, that's easy money. I'm taking Niners to cover three and a half all day. Um I, I just think that there's something about the Rams where it feels Buffalo Billish. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go with the, with the Niners here. All right, Henry, before I get to you, cause I want to finish with your prediction because you're the Niners fan here. I agree. I think the Niners cover, but I do think the Rams win. I think pressure creates diamonds. I think the, <laughs> the Stafford and Odell coming off their first two playoff victories they're feeling good about themselves. McVay, I think, knows the parameter, like knows what's at stake here for them. And I do think that they get the job done there at home. They're not going to be selling their tickets to the Niners fans. Like, they made a rule not to do that. It's totally ridiculous. Actually, that was reversed. Oh, was it? Was it reversed? Yeah, okay. Reversed. So maybe there won't be a ton of Niners fans there, but maybe that'll help. Who knows? Frank Gore and Joe Staley have been buying tickets to <laughs> Niners fans actually online. 
That is funny. <laughs> that is funny. But uh, I just, I, I think the world of, of how well, like they, I think they're run really well. And, and Matt, you speak of, of predictions um, before the season, you said um, Packers against Chiefs. And in an effort for me not to repeat what you said, I said Rams versus Chiefs. I'm dangerously close to getting that correct. I know I'm not inventing the wheel here by picking two of the better teams in the NFL, but I'm going to stick with my prediction. I'm not backing off of it now. I think the Rams win. I do think the Niners cover because I do think that the three and a half is too much. This, these teams are too even. They're rivals. They know each other too well. I think the, uh, the Rams win 20 to 17, and both defenses show up and play a really good game. Henry, the moment is yours. The Niners are final four, a chance at the Super Bowl on the line. You could be joining us again for our Super Bowl preview with oh, yeah. your Niners gear. What do you think happens? If I'm not mistaken, I think I went Niners Chiefs um, in the beginning of the year. Okay. I, I don't remember. Um, but let me paint this picture for you because, you know, when you play a division rival, things are always a little different, right? Mm -hmm. So let me paint the picture for you. SoFi Stadium, the inaugural season. 49ers whoop your ass, have the Red Sea all over in the final game of the season for them to get into the playoffs. Then the 49ers knock you out of the playoffs in the NFC Championship game only to play and maybe win a Super Bowl in your home in its inaugural season. Yeah, it can't happen. <laughs> oh, man, I you, hope they say that in the locker room. Listen to me. For a division rival, there is no more bragging rights. than That's like the Red Sox coming in and whooping the Yankees' ass in 2009. Yeah. So. I'm going to go with that theory. I'm going to stick with that. I think this is going to be a hell of a game. I think I'm going to have an ulcer, high blood pressure. I'm going to have it all. <laughs> and I think the Niners pull it out 27-24. All right. So it's you two against me. You I love know, the score. I, I, I agree, though. I think it'll be a three-point game. I didn't give my score yet. I just said the Niners are – that three and a half season. Get it to together, Bushy. Let's go. All right. Well, I'm going to give you my score. I'm going to take the Niners 17 to the Rams 10. Oh, that's a black oh. and blue game. I think it's going to be a defensive game. I do. Yeah. I think that you're getting all offense in the first one and all defense in this one. I like it. As long as we, as long as we went, look, we have nothing to lose. And, and yeah. like you said, Randy, all the pressures on the Rams, they, they're not supposed to lose. They can't lose this game. And for those reasons, it's going to be fun when and if they lose. Yeah. There's a podcast host I listen to and he always calls it the curse of supposed to. And when you're supposed to win, the pressure's on and you seem to fail. And Tom Brady seemed to have demolished that curse altogether because <laughs> it always seemed to be pressures on him and he overcame it. But mostly uh, Aaron Rodgers, whoever else, seem to just, you know, crap all over themselves when the pressure's on. So, so is, it, is it possible that Debo finally gets the love that he's deserved on a national stage? I think we've both given him love. I, I know that I've been more critical. No, no not you guys. You guys have finally come oh. around. Um, <laughs> I'm talking nationally. I don't think Debo is is kind of regarded nationally. We play on the West Coast. Mm. You know, the 49ers are not one of those big national teams. But I think that Debo's the guy that the NFL can kind of get behind and market, man. I, I think in certain aspects, yes. But I think it's uncharted territory for a large degree. Seeing someone do all three things throwing he might be a better quarterback than jimmy g so maybe explore <laughs> that his qbr is better i'm sure <laughs> yes um you know he's a really good running back and he's a really really good wide receiver and it's hard to kind of mold that into trying to define where you can rate him against like do you rank him with the running backs do you rank him with the wide receivers when in reality it's like if you ever pay attention to college football recruiting they have the position athlete marked off 
like mm -hmm. a guy who can do anything. And I just don't think the NFL has come around to that type of thought process yet where Debo, I, I think when it comes to athletes, it's him and Tyreek Hill, in my opinion, for athletes that are one and two. Tyreek's a really, really good wide receiver, but he's also a really, really good ball carrier. When you give him the ball, he can do a lot of different things. So, and also not coincidentally, they both return kicks. So we don't know. use Debo as much for obvious reasons. I mean, you don't want to hurt the guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I think you see that with the chiefs too. They, they only put tight. And that was the other thing. A lot of people didn't notice. Did you guys notice who was in the backfield returning kicks with 13 seconds left against Buffalo? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was Tyreek Hill. And they were like, we're kicking this ball out of bounds because we don't want Tyreek Hill to beat us. Yep. So, um, but no, I, to, to me, Debo should get a lot of credit. It's just, when will the NFL narrative start embracing these athlete type players? When we start well, getting racist assholes. <laughs> well, I, I think what helps him is that he's in a fantasy football era where teams are, guys are going to start having him in fantasy. He's going to help them win championships and if, he's going to have running back and wide receiver eligibility. Maybe. That's just, I don't think, do. I don't think he ever got running back eligibility this year. No, did he? I'm saying in the future, he will. He might. Yeah. I think, they're I, I think he should more. Yeah. And more in the like more in the playoffs, especially they've been running the ball with him more. And maybe it's just out of necessity with injuries and stuff. But he's definitely a guy. I, I mean, he's like a the peak version of we said in the chat of Tavon Austin. Cordero Patterson mm -hmm. has done that this year, where he's just been like, there's no position, but we're going to put him where we need him in that moment in time. And I think that's a special a talent that not everyone can do. Yeah, and I think he's used. I think he's used wonderfully, especially with with Eli Mitchell. I think Elijah Mitchell and him are such different contrast of runners. Mm -hmm. that they just change the style for the defense to adapt to. And, you know, Debo gets open and it, it's a wrap. Man, that dude is fast. He just has yeah. something in the reserve and he takes off. Elijah Mitchell is going to hit you, man. He's going to put that shoulder down and he's going to hit you. He's going to make it hurt. Yeah. So I love the way they use them. You know, they, they offset one another. So I, I love it. By the way, I know you guys a personality too. So, yeah, you, you guys didn't ask me, but the Chiefs are a better team than the, than the Bengals. But I'm going with the Bengals because – First of all, like everything Randy said about Burrow, he's just he's just that fucking dude, man. You know, <laughs> earlier this year, Randy, you and I had a discussion, Herbert versus Burrow, and I kept yeah. fighting for Burrow. And I'm like, I love them both, but there's yeah, yeah, yeah. something about Burrow, and I think you're you kind of come around to that. Oh, yeah. Um, but let's be real. The way this this football season has played out, two teams that are not supposed to be there, that, that's the epitome of the 2021 season, right? It, it's got to be that. No. This season has played <laughs> out like that. Come on. What, Henry? When it's grim, be the grim reaper. <laughs> and, and I never bet against death. Hey, we both picked against the Chiefs last week, and I think that's the last time we're doing that. So <laughs> The Bengals are, are going to pull it off. We both picked Josh Allen. You, you should give us credit for picking Josh Allen. Yeah, I mean, for real. No, at this point, you have no choice. <laughs> the guy is fucking amazing. I mean, he played one of the most unbelievable games I've ever seen last week. So. He actually played a better game than Mahomes and lost. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't statistically, know. Uh, statistically, the, you know. Yeah, stats only get you so far. I feel like Mahomes' stats were still better. I don't know. I, no, I, they, no, they, they weren't. weren't. They weren't. They were both ridiculous. So I'm not picking the sides there. I, I'm just I'm I'm surprised Allen I, got to that I would, level. I, I would love a it. Josh Allen on this team. I think a Josh Allen on this team takes us over. Well, I mean, Josh well, Allen would take a lot of teams over. Yeah. Well, with the kind of offense we run, especially, but oh yeah, he he he'd kill it. Yeah. yeah. The, the and by the way, I think the Super Bowl. The Niners window is is small, man. We we have to pay Debo. He's a free agent. Um, yeah. You got to pay him. 
which means Trey is probably starting in order to afford Debo. Um, so, you know, when you got to pay superstars, you start to lose guys in other positions. So this draft is important. So either way, if the Niners win, Henry, you're getting a rematch in the Super Bowl. Um, you're getting the Chiefs <laughs> from two years ago or the Bengals from 1988. What, <laughs> you remember much from that Super Bowl? I mean, that was what, I, that was, Steve Young, was wasn't it? Or was it still Montana? So, I actually, you can't see, I actually got chills when you said that. Um, so, 1988 is when I became a 49er fan. And I think Vince and you guys asked me why I was important. Like, how the hell does a guy that lives in New York become a 49er fan? Um, my brother was born in 1988. That's when the 49ers were kicking ass. Um, my brother's name is Cisco. So I'm eight, you know, I'm, I'm watching the TV. I see all kind of crazy shit. And I see this team that has my younger brother's name in it. And that's how I became a four. I literally started rooting for the Niners because they had my brother's name at eight years old. Um, as you guys know, my brother just passed away a couple months ago. So, I'm, you know, maybe I have a little divine intervention working in my favor, but it'd be pretty fucking sweet if the Niners can pull it off this year. It's a great story. And it was Montana and a sizing in that Super Bowl, right? Yeah, boomer. That was Boomer. Yeah. Who wore number eight? Which I would love. I love when, when Boomer takes L's because if you listen to the radio in New York, <laughs> he, he's God awful. He's easy to hate on the radio. So for Boomer to take another L, I wouldn't mind it. <laughs> you got to call into his show and be like, yo, remember oh, yeah, I, I'd be banned. <laughs> All right, be Henry, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show with us. It's been too long since you've been on the show, to be oh, honest yeah. with you. Um, I'll be back it, next week for the Super Bowl. I was going to say, <laughs> win or lose, can we still expect you on for the Super Bowl special? Uh, yes, but if we lose, you might have to put an R rating on the show. Well, I feel like we have to do that anyway every time you're on, so that's okay. <laughs> well, if you ever notice, the closed captions kind of put the stars there anytime there the first word drops. Yeah, just, it's just it'll just be nothing but asterisks all over my name like I'm Barry Bonds. Yeah. That, uh, all right, well, that's a good transition because this is the part of the show where we tease shows and your show, Dong City, with our friend Vince Mercandetti. You guys have been taking a little bit of sabbatical because you're on a lockout much like baseball is. Now, is there any thought about having a show here in the near future for you guys? We we, we have to talk about it. I know we, we mentioned something, maybe doing something with Melvin in the GOAT series that he's, he's pumping in the group. Um, it's just There's not a lot of action. I mean, we, we can talk about Barry Bonds and David Ortiz, but uh, you know that, that stuff is talked about ad nauseum at this point. Um, there's nothing really going on with the labor deal. You know, we we got news yesterday, which was the breaking news. There's no news. You know, um, there's just not a lot going on. You know, I'm sure we'll hop on soon and, and get something. But you know, you know that the meme, uh, you know, do something with the stick is just yeah. kind of where we're at right now. Well, I did hear on Chicago Sports Radio this morning. Um, they're talking about Carlos Correa. And how the Cubs want to pursue him, but it looks like Carlos Correa would take less money to go to the Yankees. If Carlos Correa was left-handed, that'd be a match in heaven, but he's not. <laughs> and it was like, you're not left-handed, get the fuck out of here. I'd still take him. I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Niners, the, um, the Niners, you see, I'm still in football mode. The, the Yankees have a couple prospects that, that are just about as can't miss as they, they can get. So we'll see. Hey, you know, the White Sox had a couple of those. Luis Robert, anybody? MVP 2022? <laughs> Fernando Tatis. Oh, fuck you. Oh, who needs Dong City when you can get baseball talk right here on the Olive Bowl? Gotta love right? it. There you go. uh, but there's another Thank baseball you, boys. Thank you for everything, by the way. You guys have kicked ass all season, and, and this has been great, man. I love you guys, both of you. Uh, oh, thank man, you. We love you too, sir. 
Thank Henry, you very it's always much, a guys. pleasure. Thank you so much. Right. Good luck to your team, even though I'm actively rooting against them. But there's no hard feelings for you. It's it's more. It's okay. That. I'm I'm coming to collect my L's. Uh, I'll be front and center. You game. know. You know. I'm gonna Facetime. I'm gonna Facetime you, cursing. The, the crown's gonna be on. You know how it goes. <laughs> hey man, I predicted the Niners to win. I don't need any more videos of me on Facebook. There you go. You're yeah. getting the video for me this time. Kiss of death, Matt Bushnell. <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty of uh, material. All right, boys, take it easy. All right, Henry. Thanks again, bud. All right. Well, Henry says goodbye. We are going to say goodbye. But, Matt, uh, we just talked about Donk City, but what other shows can people find under the Life Group umbrella? Well, of course, we have the infamous um, Total Bases podcast on Sundays with Felipe and Austin doing a great job covering fantasy baseball. And then we also have the Step Back in Basketball Life on, excuse me, Monday. And I'm expecting there may be some talk about Julius Randle practicing social distancing during a basketball game. Yikes. So, so entertaining stuff. Um, Leon and Jacob do a great job with that. Love listening to those two guys. Um, really check out their last episode. The, the Trey Lance. I'm sorry, Trey Lance. Um, <laughs> I forgot the guard from the freaking Hawks. Trey Young. Trey Maybe. Young. Thank you. You see? old i told you i'm turning 40 this year the memory's going um check those guys out the trey young conversation was excellent really um good stuff so leon and jacob great stuff and we'll be back on tuesday to talk about what transpired and maybe the new york giants will have a new head coach thinking that's going to be the case and we'll certainly talk about it on tuesday and shout out to the basketball life step back guys uh they got the, the page yesterday was just flooded with Kobe Bryant memories. As you know, you know, that's my guy. And unfortunately it had been two years since he passed. I get always a little choked up about that. It's still not over it. And they do a great job of uh, commemorating the, one of my childhood heroes there. And I, I probably should uh, hop on one of these days and, and, and talk to Kobe with them. It's been a while since I've been on that show. So uh, maybe we'll come on and discuss uh, my guy Bean and, and talk about how much I miss him and how much I think basketball misses him. So uh, maybe stay tuned for that. I'll have to work that out. And Matt, before we go, Today's a special day in the football world because it is January 27th. And as if you know, if you followed our show, you know the story, but I would always credit my existence to one man, one man, number 11 from the Buffalo Bills, Scott Norwood. Now on this day, 31 years ago, the Bills had a chance to win their first Super Bowl in a stretch of four in a row. And Scott Norwood lined up for a field goal and it was wide right, the infamous wide right field goal. And this, and, and nonetheless, and here I am 11 months later, I exist. I'm in the world 30 years later. It's 11 months to the day I exist. I'm here. I'm born. And my, my dad says he doesn't remember anything. My mom if he, <laughs> adamantly denies it, just says, no way. I would never agree to a game, a football game uh, and a kid. But I like to make up that story because I think it's fun to folk fun at Bills fans. But happy 31st anniversary, Scott Norwood. Now, if you ever watch uh, Pardon the Interruption at the end, they always say happy anniversary for whatever is going on that day. This is our version of that. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Scott Norwood. <laughs> I, I I have absolutely nothing to add to that. <laughs> anyway, the Giants have won a couple Super Bowls and they've done so in a lucky fashion. That's one of them. So uh, I'll take it. But um, hey, this is it. This is championship week in the final four is here. We're excited. This has the, been the preview show. And uh, Matt, I'm not going to brag and pat ourselves on the back, but at the same time, I kind of think we knocked this out of the park. Yeah, I mean, I think all season for our predictions, you know, look, it's not my fault. Aaron Rodgers gets a little shrivelly in the cold. You know, can't make any plays. Poor Aaron. 
his unvaccinated status and his COVID <laughs> toes. But no, kudos to us. Great call, Randy, with the Rams and Chiefs. I think that would be a superb Super Bowl. I, I think both these, any scenario you can get. And, you know, the NFL, I will say this, Randy, we have plenty of content going into the future with Herbert, um, Burrow, uh, Mitch Trubisky with the New York Giants. Oh, God. <laughs> this guy. This is how I know the show needs to end. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun. Uh, thank you to everyone who's participated on our Facebook Live and the comments. We, we really do love all the interaction. Thank you for watching us on YouTube. Thank you for listening on the audio-only platforms, wherever you may be. Thank you for making us just a small part of your day. And a special thanks to Henry. It's got to be so exciting to watch your team make playoff runs every year. I don't know what that's like anymore, but I'm happy for you. Thank you again for joining the show, and we'll see you for our Super Bowl special, uh, not next week, but the following week. And Matt, we'll talk about that in the near future. But uh, exciting times here in the NFL. We're going to decide who will play in Super Bowl 57. Absolutely cannot wait. Um, you have any parting words for the audience before we say goodbye? If you don't live in Florida and Arizona, stay warm, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're speaking to me. It's freezing in here right now. So I'm going to go grab a coat. I hope you guys stay warm. On behalf of Mash Bushnell, I'm Randy Hammond saying see you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy championship weekend. RIP Kobe.